Three, the Southern Wilds. January fourth, two thousand twenty-three. Dear Dad, here are some more feelings. I hate you. I never got to shout those words at you in the throes of some childish teenage tantrum, so I'm saying it now. I hate you. Thirty-two hours, thirty-two shitty ass hours. That's how long I've been living this nightmare. It's amazing and a little scary how easily my hand inks these words onto the page. I hate you. I do. Right now, I'm somewhere over the mid-Atlantic, and honestly, I'm praying both pilots die of a stroke. This plane going down might be the only thing that can put me out of my misery. Currently, I'm wedged between an overweight couple who apparently demanded aisle seats for the extra room. I, however, am convinced they simply didn't want to spend eight hours smelling each other. Overripe onions are sitting on one side of me, and an entire bottle of cheap perfume on the other. I've been hitting the lavatory so often in my desperate attempts to escape them that the flight crew probably thinks I have some serious IBS. This is a nightmare. If you weren't already dead, I'd kill you. Since that's not an option, I'm distracting myself by writing. When I left Norway yesterday, James and Sarah seemed disappointed to watch me go. The feeling was mutual. I enjoyed their company tremendously and understand why you entrusted them with your letter. I promised them I would come back soon, and I plan to make good on my word. They told me I'd always have a free place to stay, and Lingenzeit is far too beautiful to keep absent for long. I might even think about applying for a bartending gig at the Jolly Orcas if my whole actuarial science major doesn't pan out. To be clear, I still hate you. That's not going to change. At least not until I get off this plane and take a shower. But even though I hate you, I guess I owe you one for introducing me to Norway. Okay, I need to take a break from my role as the deli meat in this onion and perfume sandwich. Time to hit the head again. Hate, your miserable little girl, Kate. January fifth, two thousand twenty-three. Dear Dad. I have arrived safely in Punta Arenas, deep at the bottom of the inhabited world. After that hellish flight, I splurged and booked myself a fancy schmancy hotel room. When I sit outside on my balcony, the icy blue Straits of Magellan are only a stone's throw away. Further, far across the Straits, the green slopes of Tierra del Fuego slice upward from the sea. Soon, I think I'll take a walk around this charming town to grab a bite. There's something called a completo. The bellhop told me to try. From what I gather, it's essentially a Chilean hot dog. Not sure how much better it could be than an American hot dog, but why not give it a shot? When in Rome, or Punta Arenas. Maybe I had too much time to think during the flight, but my last video chat with Andrew has been weighing on my mind. I reflected on how I've been treating him, and I haven't exactly been the best girlfriend. He's always been good to me, and he deserves more patience in return. I'm not saying I'm suddenly ready to marry the guy, but maybe I could share my thoughts and ugh feelings about our relationship a bit more. Writing in this journal has been giving me tons of practice, after all. Maybe I can graduate to expressing those feelings to the living by the time I return home. 
Mom emailed me yesterday, so I need to reply before heading off again tomorrow. Nothing too crazy going on back home. She's just curious how the trip is going. She'll die of surprise when she finds out I'm in Patagonia now. Though I hope she doesn't. I'm not cut out for life as an orphan. I guess I should keep her a little more up-to-date of my travels. After all, if I get kidnapped and sold on the black market, how would anyone know where to begin the investigation? That's all for now. Tomorrow I take a bus. More sitting for hours on end. Yay! To an even smaller town called Puerto Natales. This is the gateway to Torres del Paine, and to your next letter. Love, your recuperating little girl, Kate. January 6th, 2023. Dear Dad, The stretch of Patagonia between Punta Arenas and Puerto Natales is the embodiment of desolation. There are only a few small hamlets and gas stations along the route. Yet, in the emptiness, there prevails an intimidating sort of loveliness. During the four-hour bus trip, my eyes feasted on infinite swaths of choked grasslands studded with ponds and lakes, each one an azure gem sparkling under the rich afternoon sun. Far to the north and west, the jagged teeth of the southern Andes rose up and nearer, the fangs of some planet-devouring beast about to feast. Willingly, I rode toward those great and empty jaws, suddenly feeling further from home than ever before among that lonesome landscape. When the bus finally arrived in Puerto Natales, I spoke to the elderly bus station attendant in my very broken Spanish about connecting to the park right away. She simply chuckled and informed me that it was too late in the day to begin a trip to Torres del Paine. Noticing my concern about having no place to stay, she kindly called up one of the local youth hostels on my behalf. They had a vacancy, so I headed there straight away. The hostel is owned and operated by a vibrant young couple from New Zealand, Brett and Jessie. It's their custom each evening to invite their guests out into their cozy, fenced garden area for fellowship, which is how I found myself nursing an intoxicating glass of Pinot Noir in their company. Sometime during the course of our conversation, once the courage of the wine had loosened my lips, I asked, How did you end up in Puerto Natale so far from home? Brett surprised me as he threw back his head and laughed, like I'd just told him the funniest joke in the celebrated history of jokes. Home? he roared. Home's not three inches away. From the moment Jesse and I first stepped off the bus here eight years ago, this has always been home. Home is wherever you feel most alive. I don't know why I felt like sharing that detail with you. It seems pretty insignificant, even in the grand scheme of this single day. But it got me wondering if that's how you saw the world sometimes, as if home were all those scattered places flung across the globe, which made your heart warm and vibrant and full. That is, until Mom and I created a new home a permanent one for you. I guess it really is true what they say. Home is where the heart is. Platitudes aside, I'm wondering now where home really is for me. But I guess I can't spend too much time mulling the question tonight. I need to squeeze in one last shower before Torres del Paine. I have a hunch it might be a couple days before that opportunity presents itself again. Love, your musing little girl, 
Kate. January 7th, 2023. Dear Dad, When I told them why I had come to the guard cabin, the two rangers stationed at the Torres campground looked like I had just grown an arm from my forehead. They stood there, mouths hanging open like a pair of frogs trying to catch flies. Neither one said anything for at least fifteen seconds. The younger and scragglier bearded of the two rangers, whose name I discovered later to be Franco, finally managed to choke out a couple words. You are real? he asked, as disbelieving as if he were speaking with a unicorn or leprechaun or honest politician. Yes, I think so, I replied, taken aback by their taken abackedness. At least, last time I checked, I was. Franco exchanged a glance with his colleague Paulo, a stocky fellow at least twice Franco's age and with half the hair. Paulo merely shrugged his beefy shoulders and said in rather broken English, She is now here. Give her the letter. When the other rangers hear about this, Franco muttered, flashing me a genuine grin of excitement. He led the way to the cabin. Really, it was not much more than a hut with a desk, filing cabinets, and a loft, which I assume must house their beds and personal belongings. As if pulled there by a magnet, Franco confidently opened one of the filing cabinet's drawers and reached deep inside. It appeared as if he'd done this hundreds of times before. When he withdrew his hand, he held an envelope, yellowed with age, pinched between his fingers. Scrawled across the front was your unmistakable handwriting. For Kate Jackson. Expect her between winter 2023, spring 2024. Tell her to read at the Torres. Franco handed me the envelope. My heart fluttered when I felt the stale paper crinkle in my hands. You and this letter, Franco said softly, his voice low and creamy smooth, are something of a legend around here. I stared at him, puzzled. Understand, please, that we have dreamed about the contents of this letter for years. Some for almost two decades, ever since the mysterious man delivered it here, Franco explained. Motioning toward his partner, he added, Paulo was here that day, although I'm sure he was a thinner and much handsomer version of this meatball. Ignoring Franco's comment, or perhaps not knowing enough English to recognize the other's jabs at him for what they were, Paulo stepped forward and started speaking in Spanish. He went on, uninterrupted for over a minute, before Franco stopped him and translated what he had said. He says, and I am paraphrasing his speech, that he was my age when the American came with the letter. Paulo did not want the responsibility of holding it so long, nor did his partner. But the man insisted quite strongly. With tears in his eyes, he begged them to take it, to keep it safe. So they accepted his letter and put it away. It has been here ever since. New park rangers have asked about it so many times over the years that a type of legend grew up around it. Some made bets whether anyone would ever come to claim it or if it would remain here until the Day of Judgment. Well, I'm here now, I said. Thank you for keeping it safe all these years. I turned and, letter in hand, left the guard shack. 
Outside, I ambled absentmindedly over to a trickling stream that cut through the campground. My fingers worked beneath the brittle, aged glue sealing the envelope shut. Just as I was about to remove and read the paper inside, a voice stopped me. You should wait, Franco said, materializing at my side. Quizzically, perhaps with a pinch of irritation, I asked him why. Because you are not at the Torres, and the envelope instructs that you should read the letter there. I turned it over to read the front again. Isn't that where we are? I asked. Isn't this the Torres campground? Franco chuckled. His brown eyes were warm with amusement as he replied, Yes, that is its name, because this is the closest campground before the Torres. The three sharp spires at the top of this mountain, these are the Torres. If you keep following the path a few kilometers past this campground, you will arrive at a lake. The Torres themselves are on the other side of the lake, but that is where people observe them. Okay, I said cheerfully. Thanks for the tip. I'll head up there now. Really, I just wanted to read your letter at the campground so I could move on to the next leg of this trip, but I suppose I should play by your rules. You did invent the game, after all. Again, Franco stopped me. Not tonight, he said. It is too late in the evening, and it would be nearly dark by the time you arrived. You have a large backpack. I assume it is filled with camping gear. Stay here for the night. In the morning, I will guide you up the path to the lake. There is a special place at the top where tourists are not supposed to go, but nowhere is off-limits for a ranger. From here, you will have the most beautiful and solitary view of the Taurus. It will be perfect for reading your letter. That streamside conversation with Franco actually took place hours ago. Since then, he has gone above and beyond for me. I must look pretty helpless to a seasoned outdoorsman like himself. When he found out I had never set up a tent before, had never even camped before, he took the next hour off in order to assist me. Pole by pole, he showed me how to construct your two-person tent. He also pointed out that I could cram a bunch of clothes in the sleeping bag's cover sack and turn it into a pillow, because I didn't bring one along. Since my water supply was running low, he taught me how to use your hand pump water filter so that I can draw drinkable water up from the stream. As Franco did all this, I imagined you doing the same sorts of things. How many times did your hands erect this tent? Did you ever use that pillow trick, stuffing your clothes into your sleeping bag sack? How many gallons of water did the strength of your arms pump through that filter? Somewhere along the pathway of my musings, I realized something. I never knew you. Not really. Some former version of me did, but not my current conscious self. Now I'm using all this gear from your life, envisioning you lying here in this very tent so long ago, and I have to say, I miss you. And I miss everything you were supposed to teach me but never could. It was nice of Franco to help out today, but it should have been you, Dad. And there's that whiny, cheated feeling again. I've avoided it for twenty years, but suddenly I can't seem to shake it anymore. You're finally haunting me. I hope you're at least a friendly ghost. So, here I am, sitting next to a tiny fire, 
hungry because I thought, like an idiot, that a couple cliff bars would be enough food after a six-mile hike, using your headlamp to write in one of your blank journals. In just a few minutes, I'll crawl into your tent, where I hope my exhausted ass can slip into nothingness for a few hours. And all I can wonder is, will your sleeping bag still smell like you? Even if it does, I would never know. Somehow, that makes me sadder than ever before. Can't wait to read your letter tomorrow. Honestly, it's taking every ounce of willpower I possess to not rip open this envelope right this very second. Sleep tight, Dad. If sleep is even a thing where you are. Love, your melancholy little girl, Kate. February 4th, 2003 Dear Kate, The first time I laid eyes upon these spires called the Taurus, I was only twenty-four years old. The icy breath of the wind sweeping down from their jagged faces and across the glacial lake below could have chilled the devil himself. My skin crawled with goosebumps, but I would have happily frozen to death right there, basking in the glory of Torres del Pine's crown jewel. It's the sort of otherworldly scene you can't fully believe exists until its image is printed directly onto your own two retinas, and ever afterward you are left with an indelible photograph in your mind's eye. It's the sort of memory you know you'll never forget until the day you die. How long have they stood here, I wondered even then, keeping watch over this place? How many ages have come and gone as these stone sentinels remain? unmoved and unshaken. How many eons may still pass before they crumble and fall into memory and then obscurity? On that crisp February afternoon, the mighty Taurus became a symbol for me. They were an icon of strength, stalwart and loyal at their post atop Patagonia's most magnificent park. The moment you were born, Kate, I was determined to become one myself. A tower, a guardian, a source of strength and safety and infallible protection for my daughter, who had become my own heart. The time had arrived to put foolish, selfish youth behind me. You gave your dad a purpose far greater and more noble than himself. In all my wildest nightmares, I never thought that at thirty-three years old, this brand-new father would find out he was dying. Both my parents had passed away young, one in an accident and the other from cancer. It always felt like a given that I would outlive them. Then came the diagnosis. It's strange to hear such an earth-shaking statement from a doctor. It comes across almost like a decree. Thou shalt not live beyond two more years. When you're as young as I was, it sounds more like a tasteless joke than anything. But the nightmare was sadly, terribly, real. Please know that I fought it. First I fought the diagnosis itself. I sought second and third opinions from different doctors. When they didn't give me what I was looking for, I turned the fight toward finding a treatment, something that would cure me or at the very least give me more time. 
I tried to fight with diet and exercise, with meditation and yoga and whatever other crap I thought might add even a couple days to my life. I became blinded, lost in my quest to survive. Oddly enough, it was your mother, who loves me more than anything, that finally convinced me to stop. She helped me realize that in fighting for more time, I was actually squandering the precious days I had remaining. That's when I started pouring the last of myself into you and your mom. It's when I came up with the idea for these letters, my final gift to you. A final gift of strength for my baby girl. But I do think you should hear the reason why I fought so damn hard at first. It was all for you. If I'm being honest, your mom was a much smaller motivation. She had made a choice to accept what was happening. She was able to make that choice. Our years, though short, have been beautiful, and she is a strong enough person to walk away with joy and thankfulness for what we shared. You, however, were too young to make that kind of decision for yourself. That never seemed fair in my eyes. One day, when old enough, you would realize that everyone else had a dad except you. You would discover a hole in your life that you could never refill. I don't know why, but that realization bothered me more than anything else. I wanted to be there for you, yes, for my selfish reasons, so I could have the joy of watching you grow, but also because it pained me worse than my sickness to know that you would live without the protecting arms of a father in your life. Even as I write this now, I can't completely quiet that voice. The unsettling, unceasing whisper telling me I've failed you, that's a gnawing thought to live with, and to die with. So you will have to find the strength elsewhere. Undoubtedly you'll have much in yourself, but the truth is that none of us are meant to stand on our own. Human beings, even when we don't want to admit it, always draw on the power and courage and protection of others. For as much as our culture glorifies independence, we are utterly, hopelessly reliant creatures. I don't know who the other towers in your life will be. Certainly your mom will lend as much of her strength as she can give. Perhaps you will find a guardian fortress also in a stepfather though I'm about as welcoming of that notion as I am of having my nose glued to my butt, or in your grandparents, or in one of your uncles or aunts, or an inspiring teacher or a husband, or even one of your own children. Whenever and however that strength is offered to you someday, promise me this, that you will welcome it and treasure it, and that you will give your own strength in return. This is how we are meant to stand. This is how we are meant to live. I have given you as much of myself as I could. I can still give a little more. But my soul will leave this earth comforted, knowing that even as my tower crumbles and falls, there will be many more to stand with you, to strengthen you, to protect you, to keep watch over my life's greatest treasure. I love you now and always. Dad. The next phase of your journey is some well-deserved rest. If you managed to keep pace, 
I have to imagine a new college semester will be starting soon. Obviously, my little scavenger hunt is the most important thing you've ever done, but that doesn't mean you can't also make time for other important things. As for the next letter location, I'll be sending you to America's last great frontier, Alaska. From Anchorage, you'll have to travel north to Denali National Park, the home of Mount McKinley, our continent's highest peak. Once there, acquire the proper permits and ride the bus to the Isleson Visitor Center, where you'll hop off and take a multi-day backpacking trip up to Anderson Pass. Scour the saddle between the mountains there until you find a circle of black rocks. Directly beneath its center is where you'll find my next letter. Beware, you'll have to dig a bit, so bring either a dog or a shovel with you. Enjoy your time off until the summer thaw. Best of luck when you finally do embark on your next journey. Be smart and be safe. After all, you are headed to grizzly country. January 8th, 2023 Dear Dad, How can you be so flowery, so eloquent, and so stupid all at once? Here I sit, right where you sat all those years ago. Here I stare up at the same trio of razor-thin peaks, rising at the far end of this milky sapphire lake, as if grown from its waters. Here I pull my jacket, your windbreaker, snug against my body to shut out the same bitter breeze. Here I have just finished reading your letter, which even now is pressed safely inside the back cover of my journal. Sure, you aren't alive anymore. But that certainly doesn't mean you aren't a tower of strength for your little girl. What a stupid, stupid thing for you to suggest. Seriously, Dad, over the past week I've learned more about myself than I have in the last decade. I've also discovered more about who I want to be than what anyone else has taught me. And guess what? You're accomplishing that from beyond the grave. Just imagine what you could pull off if you were still alive. If that isn't evidence enough of your strength and influence in my life, I don't know what else could be. You aren't some has-been tower that cracked and collapsed when I was a baby. You're exactly what you set out to be the day I was born. You're my guardian. You're my protector. Even now. But enough about you. Let's talk about me. My morning began balls early when Franco arrived at my tent with some kind of energy bar and a cup of the nastiest shit-for-beans coffee I've ever tasted. Still, it was a toasty drink on a frosty morning and desperately needed. I pinched my nose and gulped it down. Instead of taking offense at my grumpy daybreak rudeness, he chuckled and said, they do not exactly stock our guard huts with Starbucks. It's instant coffee, but it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, thanks, I replied, handing him the empty mug. Put on some warmer clothes, he ordered, speaking as if I had no choice. And meet me at the guardhouse when you are ready. We have a bit of a climb, and you want to beat the other tourists to the top. What I wanted, more than anything, was to curl up in the warmth of my sleeping bag and catch a couple more hours of shut-eye. 
Somehow, though, I managed to coax my stiff muscles into my hiking clothes and convince myself that another two miles after yesterday's six would be no big deal. On our way to the top, Franco distracted me from the cold and my aching body by asking everything he could about my life. For someone whose native tongue is Spanish, he's remarkably fluent speaking English. I told him all about life in Denver, described mom, shared a few stories of stupid high school escapades involving Emma and my other friends, and explained what I was studying in my junior year at the University of Wyoming. I talked about waitressing at Chili's and all my favorite Denver sports teams. The one topic I couldn't seem to bring up was Andrew, not even when he asked if there was a significant other waiting for me back home. I merely gave a nervous chuckle and turned the questioning around by asking about his life. Franco, it turns out, is six years older than me. He was born and raised in a city called Arica, which is apparently about as far north as Chile grows people. He spent his final year of high school in the United States as an exchange student, which is apparently why he speaks such fluent English. When Franco was in his teens, he and his family vacationed here in Torres del Paine. Years later, Franco says he came to a crossroads in life. That's when he remembered these mountains and returned permanently to become a ranger. So, this is home? I asked him, thinking back to my conversation with Brett and Jesse at the hostel. It's still a foreign notion for me to think of home as transcending the suburban brick-and-mortar terms I'm so accustomed to. Franco grinned sideways and shot me a screw-you-for-asking-a-question-that-deep look. For a moment, he stayed silent, and I knew I'd crossed some undefined line. Then he said, I don't know where home is. It isn't Arika any longer. Of that, I am sure. But here? He shrugged, then stared at the trail ahead and said no more. We stayed silent until the summit. When the trail crested the slope and opened on to a handful of tourists leaning over their tripod-mounted cameras, I knew we had reached the top. Spread out before me were the tranquil lake and its guardian towers, thrust toward the heavens like the spearheads of giants. Come this way, Franco beckoned. He led me over a gravel path and away from the other Vista viewers. As if he owned the whole mountain, he walked straight past a sign that read, Prohibito al Paso. I don't remember much of my high school Spanish, but I've retained enough to know that it translates to no trespassing in English. After another five silent minutes, clambering across steep scree and small boulders, Franco faced the jagged triple spires of the Torres and raised his arms. Here they are! He made the declaration as if he were introducing the headliner at a rock concert. Then, much more gently, and here you may open your letter. I was sure he'd sit next to me and try to read over my shoulder. Hell, it's exactly what I would have done in his situation. After the years of mystery and intrigue, who could blame him? Instead, Franco winked a kind, chocolatey brown eye at me and sauntered away. I sat, alone. I read. I cried a little. When I was finished reading and had put your letter back into the envelope, Franco returned and knelt beside me. He must have been watching from nearby. I could see the questions raging inside him, 
yet he neither said nor asked anything. With his fingers laced together, he gazed up at the monolithic towers, which were now painted blaze orange by the rising sun. Unable to stand his casual nonchalance, I waved the envelope in front of his face and asked, Well, don't you want to know what it says? After all, he and every other Torres Ranger for the last fifth of a century have been waiting for an answer to that very question. Franco never broke his gaze away from the spires as he said, No, some things are meant to stay between a father and his daughter. How do you know that's what this was? I inquired, suddenly on a warpath. I hadn't mentioned anything about the letter's author being my dad. Did you read it? Of course not. Franco replied coolly, but only a dying father would do something like this for his little girl. Damn, he has one astute son of a bitch. Franco stood and ambled down the slope toward the congregating tourists. I can't be sure, but I thought I noticed something of a sadness in his face as he turned from me. Looks like I found me an old softy out here in the Chilean mountains. I can only wonder what that sudden shadow over his otherwise sunny demeanor was all about. I suppose it's time to put this journal away again. I'll sit a moment longer, letting the power and majesty of this image ink a permanent photograph into the scrapbook of my mind. I'll take a picture with your camera, too, I think. And then I'll say goodbye to Franco and begin my long migration home. As I do, I will thank God again and again, and again, that I have a watchtower like you standing guard over my life, looking out for me, protecting me, loving me, and, in your own way, raising me. Love, your treasured little girl, Kate. January 8, 2023 Again. Dear Dad, Highly irregular, I know, but after my hike back down to the guardhouse with Franco, I felt like a second entry for January 8th was in order. After leaving the Torres, we trudged a half-mile back down the trail in a long, awkward silence. The tension of my accusation hung in the air. I had only met Franco yesterday, but strangely I felt like I'd just betrayed my best friend. Why did I have to suggest that he had read your letter? Apologies and I have never been close friends, so even though I knew I was in the wrong, the word sorry just wasn't escaping my stubborn lips. Apparently, Franco's tension was of a different source than my own, because he suddenly blurted out, This isn't home. What? I asked, caught off guard and a bit confused. What about home? You asked earlier if this place was home for me? He clarified. It is not. Then where is home? I asked. Franco shrugged, kicked at a pebble, and answered, I don't know. When I first came here, I thought this was home. After a while, though, I realized I was mistaken. He must have noticed my look of surprise, the one wordlessly saying, I can't believe anyone could be discontent in a place as beautiful as this. So he went on. Please do not misunderstand me. A part of my soul will always belong here. I do love this place, but there is so much more to the world, to life, 
than to spend my years rotating from ranger post to ranger post. There are always people around me, yet it is a lonely existence. I didn't say anything. Mostly because I was totally unsure what to say. Here, this man, hardly more than a stranger, was bearing his heart to me. Maybe it's just me who sucks at feelings? Then again, I don't know where home is either. The words burst through my lips before I realized I was saying them. Once I started, it didn't seem right to stop, so I continued. I mean, I have a mom who loves me. She's taken care of me my whole life, and we're really close. And I have aunts and uncles and a grandpa, and they basically all adore me. And that might be a comfortable place for me, but is it really home? Is it where I feel settled and at peace and fulfilled? I don't know. I don't think so. Franco nodded politely at a trio of passing tourists, then asked, Where do you think home is? Not sure. But I think maybe you don't know for sure until you know for sure. Franco laughed. I've noticed he likes to laugh, and replied, Very well said. Clear as dirty dishwater. I rolled my eyes. Whatever, I can't think of a better way to put it. After mulling a moment over what I'd so poorly stated, he spoke up again. I understand what you mean. Maybe you are correct. But it also makes me afraid. It sounds like it could be a terrible, long journey, and one with no certainty of ever finding my, or your, real home. True, I muttered, but maybe that's part of the reason why my dad sent me on this weird global scavenger hunt, to help me figure out the answers to some of these tough questions. What is that? Scavenger hunt? Franco asked, his English failing him for the first time since we'd started talking. It's a sort of game, I guess. It's like when someone gives you clues to go and find something, or maybe a bunch of different things that you collect and bring back with you. He let this sink in for a moment. Then, with lucid realization, he said, So, the Torres were not your first stop. No, this was my third. My dad also sent me to my grandpa's house and Norway. Norway? Franco whistled through his teeth. You are lucky, Kate Jackson. I glanced at him sideways and stupidly replied, Yeah? Lucky to have a father who loved you enough to show you the world, he explained. His dark chocolate eyes had become drills now boring into my own. He held my gaze for a single second, but it felt like minutes. Then he said, I envy you. Like before, I vomited my next words before my brain had the chance to stifle them. Maybe you could come with me, Franco stopped. His mouth opened and closed wordlessly, like a fish out of water gasping for air, before he finally said, It is your journey. Since there was no taking back what I had said, I decided to double down. Yeah, that's true, but that doesn't mean it can't also be your journey. Plus, I have a sneaking suspicion this little scavenger hunt is only going to get harder. I could probably use some backup. Things quieted down for the next stretch of our descent. I could see his brain spinning, like a muddy truck tire stuck in a rut. What I had said caught him off guard. 
throwing off the balance of the life he's cultivated for himself the past few years. Franco's silence broke when we sat to rest on a large boulder. He asked, Where is your father sending you next? Denali National Park, in Alaska. It sounds like it'll be a legit backpacking trip through the wilderness. Not like anything I've done before. Alaska, he mused after a sip from his canteen. He sounded almost nostalgic. I have often dreamed of seeing the grizzly bears there. They were my favorite animal when I was a child. I mean, obviously, I won't be going for a while, I said, ignoring his grizzly bear lust. It's the middle of winter right now, but this summer, when the snow melts, you could meet me there. He laughed lightly and replied, Then, it seems, I have some time before you need an answer. I will think it over. Your offer is very tempting, I admit. The rest of the hike was spent enjoying comfortable small talk. He told me about some of the park's other exquisite locations and its abundant wildlife. He explained to me that the llama-looking creatures I saw on my hike up the mountain are, in fact, relatives of llamas called guanacos. He also pointed out an Andean condor soaring high overhead and shared the story of the bird's struggle against extinction. All in all, it was a wonderful morning one of the best I've ever had. I felt an odd pang of loss when I said goodbye to someone I've only known for half a day. After packing my tent and belongings, I gave him a slip of paper with my email address and phone number. He hugged me, and I hugged him back. Then I turned and walked away from him and out of his life, probably forever. As I descended back through the subalpine forest and along the river-cut clove between the mountains, I questioned why I had done what I did. Why did I invite a mere acquaintance to join me on this intimate journey of rediscovering my dead dad? By the end of the trail, I determined I'd done it to get back at Andrew. Our last conversation was so angry, so sharp with disagreement. His tone was condescending and possessive. It was like he owned me, and thus had rights to me. I know I decided to treat him with a little more patience and understanding, but it sure seemed to me like he was crossing a line. Maybe he just misses me. Maybe he's worried and this is how he handles worry. Either way, it's no excuse. I guess we'll have some things to sort through when I get home. Anyway, I'm currently on the bus back to Puerto Natales. I guess it's time now for some rest and a break and then more school. I can already foresee a young woman sitting at her desk with a very distracted mind, as I wonder what Alaska has in store for me. Six months is a long wait, but I guess I don't have much choice. It'll at least give me lots of time to plan. Don't worry, though. I'm sure I'll concoct a few reasons to write to you between now and then. Love, your impatient little girl, Kate.